in Victorian London, around the times of Spring Hill Jack. Another urban legend would show its frightful head to strike fear into those that believed in it. This was the tale of the black swine in the sewers of Hampstead Heath. This legend claimed that the sewers of London were filled with monstrous, ferocious, feral black pigs as they haunted the sewage systems. This was a time where the pollution was a major problem for those within the boundaries of the ever-expanding 19th century city. And the River Thames, which is now one of the cleanest rivers in the world, was at the time essentially one big open sewer. This tale would continue, finding renewed life when it was mentioned in the Daily Telegraph in 1859 as they added fuel to the fire. This fire burnt bright and hot for some time, but... Perhaps due to the creation of a better sewer system and a cleanup of the city, the poor sign creatures disappeared from word of mouth. Although the beliefs in these sewer dwellers faded in time, becoming nothing but words in history books, it would seem that not long after that, across the pond and under the city of New York, tales of creatures living amongst the sewers would return. My name is Luke Mordew, and this urban legend is Alligators in the Sewers. In a previous chapter, I mentioned that a common belief is that in London, you were no further than 10 feet away from a rat at any time. Although, studies would later provide evidence that in reality, the truth was closer to 160 feet, putting the 10 feet belief down as nothing but an urban legend. An unfortunate fact that I had previously wished was an urban legend before finding it to be true, was that these rats can, and do, swim their way up through the pipes and do, in fact, pop up in our toilet bowls. This may be a rare occurrence, but it is by no means unheard of. So perhaps it would be best to check next time you take a seat. Before you cringe too hard, consider yourself lucky, far luckier than Ataporn Boon McChow's encounter with a toilet bowl. As in 2016, he lifted the lid of a toilet to urinate, only to be instantaneously bitten on the penis by a ten-foot python that had swam its way up the sewer system. These stories are horrifying and cringeworthy, enough to make us that little bit more nervous about next time we go to the toilet. But this chapter's tale is about what lurks down those pipes, venturing through the darkness of the plumbing until we make our ways down to the unknown world of the sewers. In my telling of an encounter with alligators in the sewers, we will follow Clive, who is on the run from the police after an unsuccessful robbery during the night. From the darkness of deep under the city, a stream of water gently trickled from a wide pipeline that stuck out from a wall down a large ditch. Clive had just stumbled his way down the steep hill, 
climbing over rocks and sliding down the concrete until he was out of sight from any passers-by on a road above. He was exhausted, burnt out by the night's commotion, sweat dampening his already dark attire. The sirens of the NYPD echoed from above, rapidly growing louder as the vehicles ventured closer. Clive knelt to the floor, pulling his backpack from his shoulders and placing it on the floor beside him to ensure that it wasn't accidentally sticking out into sight. He was terrified. His entire body shook with a mixture of anxiety and adrenaline. He was so thirsty, wishing that he had packed a water bottle. Of course, this would have been extra weight and the intention of the robbery was to be much faster than it ended up being. All that he had in there now was a switchblade, a mask and a replica of a handgun. He sighed to himself and rubbed his head, frustrated at how much trouble he was in for trying to rob a place of a gun that wasn't even real. By now, the sirens had grown loud as they passed by above, fading away as they disappeared into the distance. He was lucky to stumble across this spot, but he knew that it wouldn't be long before they checked it. He contemplated his next move for a moment whilst the birds chirped in the treetops above, welcoming the orange glow of the sunrise that was beginning to warm the concrete. Amongst the calm sounds of the city waking up once more, a gentle hum began to fill the air from afar. Clive stopped and quietened his breath. He listened to the hum that grew louder, growing choppier as its clarity set in. It was a helicopter. Clive quickly jumped to his feet, flinging the backpack over his shoulder as his eyes darted to the sky above, hoping with all of his might that it wasn't yet in view. There was no way he was going to be able to hide from this. He turned, watching the water gently stream out of the large pipe to his right. It would be a squeeze, but he knew he'd be able to get inside. He hated the idea of being hidden in such an enclosed space, but if he didn't at least try, then he would be in an enclosed space for far longer behind bars. With this thought clear in his mind, he paced towards the pipe and clambered inside. He pushed his body forward as his chest rested in the shallow stream of water that continued out of the pipe. It was disgusting, dirty, murky and damp inside, but Clive kept himself moving as he shuffled his way through the pipe. He wondered if he could stay there for a while before climbing out later, but with how impressive technology had become, he questioned whether they could pick up his heat signals through a camera showing him foolishly lying in filth within the pipe. With this in mind, Clive continued to drag himself deeper into the pipe until he reached an opening, climbing out into what looks to be a large room filled with darkness. The water was now up to his knees, just below the pipe with the occasional overspill trickling through it to the outside. Using the dim light of the sunrise outside that bounced up the pipe, Clive took off his backpack and rummaged through it, pulling out the torch that he kept inside. He clicked it on, shining the light into the darkness to reveal that he was not in a room at all, but in a large tunnel. He continued ahead, venturing deeper into the blackness of the city's underground, studying all around him. On occasions, the water would grow deeper. On others, it would seem more shallow. He would turn left down certain tunnels and turn right down others slowly venturing deeper underground as he hoped to find an exit somewhere safer. Fifteen minutes into this journey, Clive had found himself on a walkway above the water. Relieved to find himself on dry ground once more, he picked up pace, venturing further out onto this new floor until he finally found a sign of promise. Ahead, he could see a large, 
rusting metal ladder that draped deep into a hole in the ground to a floor below. As he arrived, he was disappointed to find that it led to nothing but more water, this time looking deeper with a far stronger current amongst it. He had no idea where he was. He had no concept on whether he was in the sewers or not. He could have been a few feet from where it originally started, and he would have been none the wiser. Every tunnel was beginning to blend into one another, as they all looked so similar. With this thought, Clive sighed and turned to look back at where he had just come, shining the torch down the tunnel. But as he did, he was shocked to see what looked to be a thick tail disappearing behind the wall ahead. The shock stunned him, knocking him back from surprise, causing him to accidentally stick his foot into the hole, resulting in a fall as he disappeared through the floor. On his way down to the floor below, he attempted to grip hold of the ladder, but all this managed to do was rip the skin off the palm of his hands, adding an extra level of pain to the panic. He slammed into the water below, just missing the concrete rise beside him. His arm collided with the ground, softened by the pressure of the water around him enough to ensure that he remained alive. But, unfortunately, not enough to stop the pain of the collision. He shot back up to the top of the water, placing his feet onto the ground. The water here was significantly deeper, now up to his chest and just below his collarbone. Somehow, he had managed to keep the torch gripped in his hand, as if the instincts of his body were to ensure that he could still see what was happening. This he was extremely thankful for, as he began to wade his way through the water to the concrete ahead. He grabbed it, pulling himself onto the surface with a great deal of trouble, struggling to do so with one good arm and a torch in hand, after the other had taken a beating from both the ladder and the floor below. He flopped over to his back, Catching his breath as he rested on his bag, looking up at the darkness above, he sighed, relieved that it was okay, all things considered, and that he was able to continue his journey. But as he caught his breath, he thought about what he had seen that made him fall through the hole to begin with. That tail. That thick, dark, scaly tail. He shone the torch around him, looking for the ladder frustratingly seeing that it was on the other side of the heavy stream and that he had climbed to the wrong side in his panic. He shone the light to the hole in the ceiling ahead, studying where the ladder led to in case he could see whatever it was again. He wasn't too keen on heading back up there, but he wasn't sure if he could stay here either. Who's to say where this water was heading? And if his hand wasn't infected already, it was most definitely going to be if he carried on. After weighing up his options and hoping that he had mistaken a shadow as a tail, he decided it was time to go back up and try to find a way out once and for all, even if it meant returning to where he had just come from. He sat up, getting himself ready to jump back into the water and make his way to the other side. He reached into his backpack and pulled out his knife, flicking it open and holding it as tight as he could in his bleeding hand. He wasn't going to take any chances, and his anxiety had peaked from the previous events. He leaned forward, ready to go, as he shone the torchlight down into the murky waters below. He turned the light to his left, watching the water disappear into the darkness of the tunnels ahead. He turned right, expecting to see very much the same. But with this came something far worse. 
Amongst the darkness ahead, he could see what looked to be a pair of eyes reflecting the light back at him, watching him from afar. He paused, horrified and confused. They didn't blink or move, suggesting that perhaps what he could see were not eyes of a creature amongst the water, but something far more mundane. He leaned forward slightly, holding the torch out in front of him as far as he could to try to capture a glimpse of what it was. But instead, all he did was reveal another pair of eyes. Only this pair were not stationary as they slowly began to edge closer towards him. His heart began to pound as he realized that whatever was down there was on the hunt, gearing closer towards him with growing pace. If he waited here to find out what it was, the knowledge would lead to nothing but death. This much he could confidently assume, and so he decided he would have to make a break for it before it could arrive. Unfortunately, before Clive could even finish this thought process, the huge, wide jaw of an enormous alligator erupted from the water beside him, sinking its teeth into his arm before dragging his body inside. Clive's screams were stifled by the commotion as the huge alligator began to violently spin, disorienting and winding Clive further. All he could see amongst the chaotic waters were the occasional glimmers of its scales that flickered in the torchlight with every spin, until the light finally dropped from his hand and to the floor at the bottom of the water. In his panic, he began to swing his knife as hard as he could at the beast, smashing into its skin with a small blade several times. He was so confused, so disoriented and in so much pain that he didn't know with any real confidence whether he was stabbing the animal, himself or both. Either way, he did not stop until finally he hit a soft spot, causing the alligator to sharply let go, pulling away from him in a confused reflex. Clive didn't hesitate, instantly turning and grabbing the concrete beside him, pulling himself up as hard as he could with his increasingly weakening limbs. This time, he didn't stop to think, instead instantly grabbing the ladder ahead that he could just about make out in the torchlight. It was once he was a few feet up the ladder, he noticed the room turn dark just for a second. He wanted to get to safety, but he was so confused by what had just happened that he needed to confirm it to himself before he left. And so he looked down at the tunnel once more. It was now glowing in a faint, murky green as the water illuminated below from the torch that rested at the bottom of it. Amongst it, Clive could see the dark, thick silhouettes of several alligators as they frantically swam through the waterway, excited and frustrated by their close call. He didn't wait to find out if they were going to come after him once again, climbing the rest of the way to the floor above, where he would instantly begin to run back the direction he came. Running his hands against the wall as guidance, he once again turned right. He turned left. He turned right. He ran ahead. He turned back. He twisted. He contemplated and he questioned every decision he was making before finally realizing that amongst the pitch black of the room, he was lost. He placed his fingers firmly on the wall and stepped forward following it as it turned before turning again. It seems to be a dead end. He could imagine the exit was close, although how was he to know that when he couldn't even see his own hand in front of his face? He had no choice but to continue this futile attempt to find safety. 
All he could do was hope to find a glimmer of light in the distance that he could follow. Although, he soon realized that his journey had come to its end, when the sounds of feet slowly hitting the ground, followed by the grit of a hard body being dragged across the floor, edged closer towards him. There was no way to know whether it was coming from ahead, the left, or to the right, as the sound echoed from wall to wall in the tunnel. He wouldn't know until it was too late. And so, he pressed his back up against the wall and took a deep sigh. He questioned the choices that brought him here. He questioned how he had been in life and what he could have done differently. He imagined a life where he chose to do good, where he could be laying in a warm bed with his wife this very morning. Unfortunately, this was not the life that he chose. And instead of the woman he loves, he was now left with the deep hiss of an alligator that let Clive know just how enormous it truly was. And with that, its feet began to pick up pace as it pounded forward to finally take its meal. Stories of alligators in the sewers have been shared for many decades, almost exclusively within the concrete jungle of New York City, although whispers of their existence can be heard amongst the words of the French in Paris. In 1984, sewer workers under the Pont Neuf Bridge stumbled across a Nile crocodile. She was, as is usually the case, a discarded pet, but once found, instead of being killed, she was christened the name of Eleanor, and now resides in an aquarium in the town of Vannes, where her enclosure has joyfully been decorated to match that of a Paris sewer. In London, where I reside, there are no stories of alligators amongst our sewer system, instead leaving us with tales of the aforementioned black swine and the more modern beliefs in giant rats. There have been cases of pythons being found amongst the sewage system of New York City, as well as eels and other creatures, most notably and commonly seem to be that of the snapping turtle, an animal that does, in fact, find itself amongst the sewer system regularly, with younger snapping turtles and other smaller breeds found periodically. Although the last time any of significant size were found was in 1988, where two of the shelled creatures were found on screens intended to sift tree limbs and other large objects from sewage. Perhaps it's that they're not as vicious-looking as an alligator even with their powerful snapping mouths. Perhaps it's that they're not as exciting, due to the fact that snapping turtles are actually local to the area. But the fact that they are most definitely down in the sewers doesn't seem to cause any excitement amongst the people of New York City and afar. The world of urban legends demands mystery and the unexplained, and with this comes a desire to believe in these far more monstrous sewer dwellers. Up until as recent as the 20th century, live baby alligators were sold as novelty souvenirs to tourists who had come to visit the state of Florida. 
A census from the year of 1890 showed that more than 8,000 live alligators had been purchased by visitors alongside roughly 450 pounds of alligator teeth. These were sold by at least 40 individuals in the area, proving itself to be a very popular choice in purchase. With this knowledge, that is extremely strange to hear for most of us in the world. The fact that New Yorkers could have taken these animals to the city as pets, only to flush them down the toilets when they began to grow too large, seems far less far-fetched than it may have originally seemed to be. It seems somewhat plausible that letting them free into the underground sewage system of the city would, very much, lead to the existence of an alligator colony. From here, the idea of what happens next varies from person to person, although the most commonly accepted theory is that these creatures made this new land their home, surviving on rats and the vast amount of garbage that accumulated over the years. With this new diet and a lack of adversaries, the animals would grow to large sizes, whilst they continued to breed and thrive just below the passing citizens of New York. in we're on the air Shh, security's outside but how's my hair it's a radio station psst, psst. you guys hear about the beyond the shadows podcast with ryan and scott you guys into paranormal what about true crime how about ufos and cryptids we also have mad hauntings we got security no we don't we're not big enough to need it yet no we got security hey what are you guys doing get out of here Listen to the Beyond the Shadows podcast. Beyond the Shadows! According to the archives of the New York Times, the first written suspected sighting of an alligator in the sewers was as far back as September 1927 when a good-sized alligator had been found in a storm-swollen stream in Middletown, New York. Although it would later be discovered that this alligator had, in fact, escaped several months prior from the premises of Dr. F.E. Fowler. In 1929, a two-foot-long alligator was found in the grass of someone's home in Port Jarvis, New York, whilst another two-foot-long alligator was found in the bushes of somebody else's estate in Pleasantville of Westchester in 1931. Things ramped up in the June of 1932, as the legend edged closer to reality when an alligator was reportedly found by the Bronx River. Sources claimed that it was two boys that brought the dead, three-foot alligator to the police, claiming that there were more by the river that were still alive. Although, after a hunting expedition found no traces of alligators, this claim was taken no further, with officials deciding that the boys had most likely seen snakes or lizards in the river, rather than alligators. Whilst the alligator they had brought in was identified as a pet crocodile that had escaped from a neighbouring backyard a few weeks prior to the events. With this, it all settled down. Until three years later, on February the 9th, 1935, when the most famous account on the subject occurred.
The New York Times would write an article about a group of teenage boys that were shoveling snow. The headline about the events would read in part, Alligator found in uptown sewer, enforcing the urban legend that had now begun to make its way into the world. It was on East 123rd Street in Harlem that the boys found the reportedly six to eight foot, 125 pound alligator that was already quite sick down a manhole. 16 year old Salvatore Condolucci shouted to his friends what he had seen before eventually tying a slipknot and dangling the noose into the sewer, eventually looping it around the creature's neck. After a struggle, the boys finally got the alligator to the street where they took it upon themselves to beat it with their snow shovels. The article writes that the gator's tail swished about a few last times. Its jaws clashed weakly, but it was in no mood for a real struggle after its icy incarceration. It died on the spot. The article was popular and fascinating to those that read it, but there was no picture to prove what had occurred. After confirming that there were no pet shops in the area, police theorized that the lost reptile may have escaped from a steamship that was traveling north from the Everglades. They surmised that once it had fallen into the freezing water of the Harlem River, it must have swam towards the shore, where the only exit was the sewer. Sightings continued throughout New York State, but there always seemed to be a constant theme regarding the official conclusions of the Saurians' arrival, and it was never that there was a colony of alligators living amongst the sewers of New York City. Instead, it seemed to always be the case that they had escaped from somewhere nearby or had been dumped by a human very recently. Many of them had already died or were dying by the time they were found, with many of the live sightings coming from Westchester County in New York State, at least an hour away from the city itself. I can see how this must be frustrating for those out there that believe in the existence of alligators in the sewers. At first glance, it seems that this legend must be true, mostly due to the fact that there have been a significant number of sightings across the New York State over the past 100 years. There is no doubt that alligators have been found in the sewers. This much is fact. But the urban legend does not claim that alligators can be found. It claims that alligators are actually living within the sewers, something that, unfortunately, is not possible. The reason that the sightings of alligators were years apart, with most of them already sick, dying or dead, is due to the fact that they are not equipped to live under these conditions. With nature writer Diane Ackerman being quoted as saying, they couldn't survive for any length of time in the sewers, only a few months at most, because they can't live long in salmonella or shigella or E. coli, organisms that one usually finds in sewage. Also, alligators live between temperatures of 78 and 90 degrees. This of course makes sense, as we remember that animals equipped for up to 90 degrees Fahrenheit would not survive long in the harsh winters of New York City that can get as low as minus 23 Fahrenheit. This is logical, believable and provable under any circumstances. So why is it that the legend has persisted for so long? What was it that brought this idea of a swarm amongst the sewers to the general public, allowing it to nestle into New York society so comfortably for so long? The answer to this varies, although the majority of its existence can be singled down to one name, Robert Daly.
This episode is also sponsored by Unidragon's Wooden Puzzles. The digitization of the 21st century has pushed many of us to seek gadget-free rest, focusing on something other than a screen. Puzzles have proven themselves to be a relatively simple tool that solves a complex range of problems. In game form, we learn useful analytics and communicative skills that will find application in work, study, and other spheres of life. With their fascinating designs amongst each puzzle piece, Unidragon offers more than a simple puzzle, giving you a different activity to do whilst training your brain at the same time in a unique way. To find out more and choose your puzzle, visit unidragon.com, unidragon.eu, or simply click on the links in our show notes. Make sure that when you do make your purchase, you use the offer code LEGENDS for a 10% discount. So go ahead and take your pick. If you've been listening to my series so far and you're enjoying yourself, I would love for you to come and join me over at Patreon, where for as little as £4 a month, you can gain access to over 20 legends that will never be covered here in our main series. For what is pretty much the amount of a coffee for you, would help me continue my work on this series as I have many more urban legends lined up to cover. There is no obligation and you can cancel at any time. If you're only interested in the extra episodes and ad-free versions of these, then you can join us as a mythologist. If you'd also want to vote for the legends we cover, gain 10% discount on any of our merchandise, and gain access to a forum that we're filling with like-minded people, including myself on the subject of urban legends, then join us as an anthropologist for £8 a month. If you want all of that, as well as gaining access to giveaways, early access to merchandise with 20% off, and a free ebook of Urban Legends Volume 1 once released, then join us as a folklorist for £15 a month. I stay in touch with all of my patrons, and I am sincerely honoured by every patron I gain. So why not come and join us and help the show, as well as gather new content for yourself? Click on the link in our show notes to find out more. And now, back to the legend. In 1959, a book was published to the general public under the title of The World Beneath the City. This somewhat normal book, written by Robert Daly, was said to be a history of the problems involved in the development of the network of utilities beneath Manhattan Island. Amongst its pages were stories of engineering problems and the usual politics that come with any large task. But as you venture deeper into the tales, readers would eventually be greeted with the chapter title, Alligators in the Sewers. And written amongst the words of this chapter would be the metamorphosis of a small local legend becoming the urban legend we know of today. The author would interview a man by the name of Teddy May, stating that he had been commissioner of the sewers in New York for some 30 years. In this interview, Teddy would claim that sewer inspectors had first began to report seeing alligators down in the sewers in 1935. At the time, nobody believed them, not even Teddy himself, claiming that, instead, he sent men to watch the sewer walkers to find out how they were obtaining whiskey down in the pipes. However, due to the persistent reports coming his way from both inspectors and newspaper articles about their children who had found an alligator above ground, Teddy May decided to go down into the sewers 
and check for himself. It was down here during this check that he would come to the horrifying realization that the claims were true, as the beams of his flashlight had spotlighted alligators whose length on average were around two feet. With this new realization, Teddy started an examination campaign, using poisoned bait followed by the flooding of the side tunnels to flush the Saurians out of the major arteries where hunters with rifles were waiting for them. This was, according to him, a success, and in 1937, he proudly announced that the alligators had been eradicated. The story of Teddy May helps solidify the tales of alligators in the sewers within the foundation of New York City's history. Although, he did claim that the legend is wrong in one aspect. The alligators were not flushed down the toilet, and were far more likely to be thrown down storm drains instead. From here, the imagination of the public was ignited, with an excited fear of what lurked below the concrete floor they walked by every day. Rather than being fearful of this idea, New Yorkers shared the story of their alligators with pride, bringing a whole new level of mystery and excitement to the already bustling city. On the 75th anniversary of the 1935 sighting, Manhattan Borough historian Michael Mission launched an annual Alligators in the Sewers Day on February the 9th. Across the city, you will find artwork, graffiti, and even bronze sculptures dedicated to the beasts that dwell under the tunnels that flow beneath the public's feet. The existence of alligators in the sewers has been contentious over the years and has now been settled amongst many as nothing but an urban legend. Although, there are still many who believe the stories to be true, and the internet is full of footage of supposed alligators amongst the sewage. Alongside this are dozens of videos clearly showing alligators found in drains. Although, these are almost exclusively within the confounds of Florida and other states that alligators are already usually found within. Queries about the sewer dwellers are still, to this day, often sent to the offices of New York City Bureau of Sewers. And whenever they are, the response is always the same denial. Talking to the New York Times, Sewer Bureau spokesman John T. Flaherty said, I could cite you many cogent, logical reasons why the sewer system is not a fit habitat for an alligator. But suffice it to say that, in the 28 years I have been in the sewer game, neither I nor any of the thousands of men who have worked to build, maintain, or repair the sewer system has ever seen one. And a 10-foot, 800-pound alligator would be hard to miss. On top of this, folklorist Jan Harold Brunvard found that Teddy May, the man claiming to be the sewer commissioner back in the 1930s in Robert Daly's book, The World Beneath the City, had never actually been commissioner. This would explain why the press, who was so keen to share any story about the alligators in the sewers, did not cover the apparent huge alligator hunt. It also explains why there has never been any official date on when this event seemingly occurred, with a sewer official telling Brunvand that Teddy was almost as much of a legend as the alligators, a spinner of colourful yarns. There is no doubt that the tales of alligators being found in New York City are true in parts, but it is worth remembering 
that finding an alligator beside or inside the New York City sewers does not mean that a hundred years of tales about alligators living and breeding underground is anything more than an urban legend. Before we go, I wanted to give a quick thank you to our patrons. That's Alison Strickland, the brilliantly named Gwim Weeper, Rebecca Clark, Christoph Herman, Chronic Neoth, Anthony Depayu, Andy Vasquez, Abby Healy, Vicky Young, Riggs, Charlotte Davy, Patricia Serratu Dorsey, Jose Fortin, Molly Anderson, Grace Terry, Lisa Lanning, Sam M, Diana Lizard, Healy with a C, Patty Cantu, Destiny Price, Sarah Lloyd, Natasha Branson, Julia Michelon, Tracy, and Tevin Hinkle. Thank you guys, and I hope you're enjoying the show. Urban Legends is researched, written, and produced by Luke Morgie in association with Morgie Pictures. Original score by Billy Jupp with additional sounds from storyblocks.com. If you like what you've heard and want to hear more, make sure to click subscribe on your chosen podcast provider and delve into the mysteries of our previous and future episodes. If that's not enough for you and you want extra exclusive episodes, hidden content, a chance to have a say in the legends we cover and more, then join us at Patreon by visiting the link in our show notes. To find out more about the work that we do, visit lrmorgie.com forward slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at ULpodcast, on Instagram at urbanlegends.podcast or on Facebook by simply searching Urban Legends Podcast.